We can turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 6 through 15 this morning. So Jesus taking the place of Barabbas. But we'll begin reading at verse 1 to set the context. A king or killer in verses 6 through 15, but I'll begin reading in verse 1. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, it is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had, they had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? So they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Amen. Well, let us pray. Oh, great God, we are thankful again for your plan of redemption. Even as we see the injustice and the suffering that our Lord endures, we know that it is not in vain. He is the one who came to die for sinners, to go to that cross, to suffer in this world, but also to have the wrath of God poured out upon him in the stead of sinners. Thank you that Christ isn't an example to us, or just an example to us, but he is our substitute. He is our mediator. He is our surety, the one who stands in our stead. Thank you for all that he did for us, Thank you for his perfect righteousness. Thank you that our sin is imputed to him and his righteousness is imputed to us. Thank you for this gift that you give, O oh God, a gift that we truly do not know how much uh, we owe. We do not really fully fathom the mystery of godliness that this is in Christ and what he has done. But we pray, O oh God, today that we would see ourselves. We would see how much we need you, how little and small we actually are. We also pray more importantly that we would see how glorious Christ is and see the suffering that he endured for his people. And we pray, O oh God, in all things, you would be glorified in everything, that your name would be hallowed in this place this day. And we pray that that would be done through the salvation of sinners, but also for the strengthening of your saints and your people. So help us to see us, help us to see you, give us illumination from on high to understand these things, for we cannot understand without your mercy and grace and power. So be with us now by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, power in any society is really with the people. 
It's difficult to be a lone wolf, a lone man against the crowd or against the mob. Every leader understands this. Every leader fears this. And everybody fears the crowd, which leads people to do sinful and unjust things in order to protect themselves. People are afraid of standing out and doing what's right in the face of what everybody else has to say. And this is what Pilate understands, and this is why he doesn't want rebellion. And Pilate is even willing to release a killer and willing to put to death an innocent man for the sake of himself and for the sake of appeasing the crowd that is before him. He will release a notorious killer and kill an innocent man for his own political security. And he, what he doesn't understand, though, is that he is engaging in the plan of God to bring salvation for sinners. And even as we see Pilate here in Mark's gospel, we must remember why Pilate is here. To tell us something about Jesus. To tell us something about who he is. And remember, that's the main purpose of the entire book. Mark is answering that question, who is Jesus? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a great man? Or is he the Christ? And we know in Mark 8, 29, Peter had confessed that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In Mark 14, Jesus, as he's on trial, also confesses that as well. I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the last time in verses 1 through 5, we start to see further Paul or Mark answer the question about who he is with him being a king, with this phrase, king of the Jews. And so Jesus affirms that he is the king of the Jews, but not in the way that the Jews think or Pilate thinks. But he's also very silent about it. Mark wanted us to see how silent the king is before the ridicule he faces. And then as we transition to the section with Barabbas, he wants us to see a king who takes the place of a killer. A king who suffers and dies in the stead of one who is a notorious murderer as Barabbas is exchanged for the Lord Jesus Christ. And really in the section as it's unfolding, we're moving, making our way to that cross, making our way to Christ dying on it. And we've seen a lot of heinous things against our Lord as we made our way to that time and that place. We've seen Jesus on trial before the Sanhedrin. We've seen Jesus abandoned by his own. We've seen Jesus denied by his own. And we've seen Jesus betrayed by his own. Jesus really is alone as he makes his way to that cross. And even as he's on trial here before Pilate, trial before Pilate, he really is once again alone as he makes his way to that cross. Only Jesus is the one who can save sinners. Only Jesus is the one who can bring salvation. Nobody else contributes to such a marvelous salvation found in him and he endures suffering to bring about that salvation he endures injustice to bring about that salvation which is what we see in these verses which is what we see here that's the problem the innocent man being punished unjustly and the theme of injustice has actually been recurring for us in god's providence we're going to see tonight the preacher in ecclesiastes cry out why is there injustice in the world why is there uh, wickedness in the place of judgment? Why does injustice seem to prevail? Well, our Lord Jesus endures injustice for the sake of his people. He endures sin, even though he is innocent. 
the son of man and the unjust, unjust thing is that the son of man who is innocent takes the place of a killer. But that's the tension, isn't it? That's part of God's purpose to bring salvation. The son of man must suffer and die and be handed over to the Gentiles to be crucified and scourged that he might bring salvation for those who are undeserving. There's a lot of tension here as we see the injustice against our Lord. And in reality, too, that identity idea is really the focus of Mark's account here. Mark wants us to see who will Pilate release. He's answering the question, will Pilate release a king or a killer? The word released is used throughout this section. Will it be Barabbas or will it be the one who is innocent? And so that's the dilemma for Pilate. Who will he release? Will it be a king or will it be a killer? And those are my two points this morning. A king released, verses 6 through 10. Secondly, a killer released, verses 11 through 15. So a king released, and then a killer released. So a king released in verses 6 through 10. And notice we see the killer in question in verses 6 and 7. We have some background information for us uh, in verses 6 and 7. But before we get there again, remember uh, Jesus on trial before Pilate. Jesus, Jesus has been charged as the king of the Jews. That's a political charge that the Jews brought to Pilate. Pilate wouldn't have cared if he was the Christ or the savior of some fringe people. But he'd be concerned if there was one who was a king. One who perhaps could challenge Caesar. One who perhaps could then take out uh, the Roman Empire and cause rebellion and insurrection against the Roman Empire. So that's why they bring that charge against him. And we saw Jesus as resolved Silence in the face of these accusations, silent lamb being led to the slaughter. But there is perhaps some hope as we read verse 6. Now we know the end. I'm just saying there was hope if you were reading this for the first time. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to release one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. Okay, maybe then Jesus, there is hope for him that he will be released. This one who is innocent. Typically at this time, at the time usually of the, well, this in this case, at the time of the festival, Pilate engaging in amnesty, engaging in an olive branch, a gesture of goodwill, says to the people, hey, I'll release a prisoner for you. Anyone that you wish to make sure that perhaps to keep them tame, to keep them happy, to make sure that they don't engage in rebellion because the Jews sure love to engage in rebellion against the Roman Empire. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but the suspense builds. Who will he release? And then that other piece of background information is verse 7. There was one in prison who was a great wretch. Verse 7. There was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Highlighting who this one is. Now, again, that's Mark's emphasis. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have the account before Pilate, but they all emphasize different things. Matthew seems to emphasize the guilt of Pilate and the Jews. Certainly we see that here as well, but it's emphasized more in Matthew. In Luke, Luke emphasizes the innocence of Christ. He is perfect, holy, harmless, and undefiled. And then John seems to emphasize the power of Christ over and against Pilate. Pilate has no idea that he has been appointed for a specific purpose. Well, Jesus tells him that very thing. Mark's emphasis is on identity. 
who this killer is and who Jesus is, what this killer has done and who Jesus will be released or will be uh, arrested for and killed in the stead of. He wants us to see how vile this man really is. And there was one named Barabbas, chained with his fellow rebels. So there's one strike against him. They were terrorists. They engaged in political treason against the Roman Empire. They engaged in uh, trying to take, they were perhaps on uh, Rome's most wanted list because they wanted to remove the Roman Empire, set up the kingdom of heaven now, and engage and do it through political means. So they are terrorists. And notice they're murderers. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Now, Mark's gospel does, or Matthew's gospel does say he's notorious. He is well known, but he is one who created murder or engaged in murder as well in that rebellion. So one who took the life of somebody else and whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Even though every sin is deserving of death, every single one, even the anger in my heart is deserving of death, isn't it? Is deserving of everlasting punishment. But we do typically like to rank sins, don't we? Usually a terrorist and a murderer are some of the worst people in the world, right? So what does it say about Barabbas? He's one of the worst people in the world. He's a terrorist and he is a rebel and he is a murderer. Now, just by way of an aside, what's the implication? Luke 23 highlights Jesus standing between two, thie- uh, two, uh, two thieves, two murderers, two vile people. The implication is the one who believed on Christ in Luke 23 was what? A terrorist and a murderer. That is, there can be salvation for terrorists and murderers if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They find mercy and grace in him. I wouldn't forgive a terrorist, would you? I wouldn't forgive a murderer, would you? But Christ does. That's what makes God so much greater than you and I. You and I hold grudges. You and I hold it against people. We hold it against our families. We hold it against our spouses. We hold it against our parents and our siblings. But God forgives. God forgives and makes this one in Luke 23, one of his greatest trophies. An undeserving terrorist and murderer finds mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ and is with him in paradise the day that they pass. So God is merciful and good. God is gracious, but Barabbas really is an awful, terrible, wretched man, a terrorist and a murderer. And so knowing this, verse eight, Pilate poses a question about the king to the people. And so the people, verse 8, the multitude comes crying aloud, verse 8, began to ask him to do just as he has always done for them. Release a prisoner. We want this to be the case. Now, crowds have played a role in Mark throughout the entire book. It's how Jesus' fame has spread. Even in that question, who is Jesus? Jesus doesn't want the crowd to answer that question. He wants his disciples who know him to answer that question. Even with the Sanhedrin, even in this latter section in Jerusalem, the the, the Sanhedrin is afraid of the crowd, what they might think of him, what they might think of the Lord. So the crowd plays an important role again here. And let's just say everybody's got blood on their hands, except for the Lord. Pilate, the crowd, 
and the chief priests all have blood on their hands when it comes to the murder of the high king of heaven, when it comes to the murder of the Lord of glory. So likely what is happening here is they knew that Pilate would bring this or offer this amnesty. And so they were arriving at perhaps the Praetorium for this specific purpose. It's probably not the same crowd as Mark 11. I know we like to say that the ones who are crying out Hosanna in the highest are the same ones who are saying crucify him. Probably not. But that doesn't change the fact one, of one important thing. Israel is still rejecting the Lord of glory, but it is probably not the same people there. Perhaps it is the case that Barabbas is popular. I mean, Matthew says he's notorious. Some people get enamored with serial killers. Some people get enamored with vile people. Some people get enamored. And perhaps with this one, the people hated Rome. And so like, hey, here's our guy. Here's our freedom fighter. Here he is. So they perhaps love this one who is the leader of the oppressed against Rome. So he is a popular figure. Perhaps they were coming for this specific purpose, maybe to release him. But in any case, they were coming to have a prisoner released. And so Pilate calculates and miscalculates, actually, and assumes that perhaps the crowds would want to release Jesus. Notice verse 9. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Verse 10. For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. He knew that the chief priests weren't doing it to be buddy-buddy with Rome. He knew the chief priests didn't care about the well-being of Rome. He knew that they were doing it because they hated the Lord. It makes what he will do in verse 15 even more heinous. He knows Jesus is innocent. He knows the motives. Yet what does he still do? He still kills him. He leaves it up to the crowd instead of being the one to make that decision. He had all the power in the world, all the power from Rome to release and uh, 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 vindicate Jesus here. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he leaves it up to the crowd. And again, no verdict has been rendered yet in this trial. And so Pilate goes, hmm, I'm going to leave it up to the crowd. I'm going to let them decide. Maybe they actually like Jesus over against these chief priests. He's trying to wash his hands of killing Jesus. Now that is more explicit in Matthew's gospel, more implicit here, but he's trying to do this through political means, namely the crowd using them for his purposes and perhaps for releasing Jesus. But he makes a grave political miscalculation here when he says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He should have just released Jesus, the king of the Jews. But instead, he leaves it up to the crowd here and shows forth their wickedness, his wickedness, and the chief priest's wickedness. Because that's the one thing we can glean from this. I think I said, as we started in Mark 14, one repeated application that will be throughout this section is the total depravity of man. How awful, how sinful, how vile man is. God says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one good, no, not one. There's no one perfect, no, not one. There's a murderer here with Barabbas. 
There's chief priests that are God-haters, and maybe they're not murderers like Barabbas, but they murder with their conspiracy to murder. The disciples are nowhere to be seen. I mean, they've fled already. I mean, they're like, we kind of forget that as it enters in. Jesus is on trial, and you know, before Pilate. The, the disciples have been fed, fled since the morning, since the night. I mean, they're long gone. And then the crowd as well. The crowd continued. The crowd cries out, crucify him, crucify him. They don't bring, uh, they don't bring acquittal. They don't say release him. Blood is on everybody's hands here, isn't it? There's no one righteous, no, not one. And it highlights too, you cannot put your trust in princes, can you? I mean, most leaders are spineless, feckless little wimps, aren't they? They're in it for themselves. I love those two words, spineless and feckless. Men, don't be spineless and feckless. It's hard not to be spineless and feckless. I just want to say it over and over again. So that's why I'm saying it a lot. Don't do that. Now, thankfully, Christ is good because he was not spineless and feckless. He did what was right and true always. He did what he held and kept the truth always. We cannot put our trust in princes, can we? And brother, we cannot put our trust in political leaders. I know we've been thinking about politics a lot. At least I have been thinking about politics a lot with everything going on. And I know we have the people that we think would be great for our country. And it's not wrong to desire that and vote for them. In the end, guess what? They're going to fail you. They always will. They're not going to save the world. No, no matter how many EV cars they sell, they're not going to do such things. There's only one savior of this world. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And what he wants us to see here is as Mark wants us to see how terrible we are and how glorious he is. When we read the Bible, those are good questions to ask. What does it teach us about me? And what does it teach us about Christ? Most of the time, it teaches you that you need Christ. Most of the time, it teaches you that you are but a worm. Most of the time, it teaches you that you are sinful. But it also teaches us that Christ is forgiving. And God is good. And God is powerful. And God is merciful. And God is kind. But it also teaches us. That Jesus suffers and dies in our stead. He has all sorts of sins committed against him on his way to the cross. Let alone my sin that held him there. All the sin that he endures as he goes to that cross. Everything, the scourging that he'll face. Sin against him and then the death itself. We even talked about my sin and your sin that holds him there. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Christ can save. Only Christ brings salvation to great sinners. And if you're an unbeliever, you know what I pray for you? I pray that God shows you you're a wretch. You want to know why? Because then you'll see your need for Christ. And I pray then that Christ will save you in the Lord Jesus Christ, or Christ will save you in him. And you believe upon him in faith. I pray that God brings you down and weighs you down. You might cry out for mercy. And if you cry out for mercy, you shall find it in him. Believe upon him and you shall be greatly saved. You are depraved and you need a deliverer. And that is only in Christ. Believe upon him. So will a king be released? Or will a killer be released? Verses 11 through 15.
The chief priest, boy, I feel bad for their mothers, by the way. The chief priest stirred up the crowd. So you should, I feel bad for everybody's mother in this section. The chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Again, that word release comes up again. Jesus wasn't the leader the, the, the crowds thought he was. He wasn't the leader that Barabbas, or sorry, that Pilate thought he was. And so Pilate answered again, the miscalculation, the chief priests, their envy, stirring up the crowds. Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? Again, he's putting it upon them. Isn't this your king? Isn't this your Christ? Isn't this your guy? Miscalculation. So they cry out, verse 13, crucify him. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst possible people in the Roman Empire. The worst people, the scum of the universe, it was reserved for them. It was reserved for terrorists. It's one thing to have your head lopped off and that's it, just sword. I, that, you know, if I have to die by way of the government killing me, I just want a head lop. That would be quick. Boom, it's over. Sorry, I think about these things a little bit, but it's not wrong to think about your death as well. But if that's the case, boom, I'm gone. Cross would not be something I would want to endure because it was reserved for the worst of sinners. Now, I'm not trying to sensationalize it. We can do that a little bit too much. but We must see the grave and serious suffering that Jesus endures. The Romans knew how to kill. They just knew how to kill and to torture. The man knows how to kill and to torture when... We see the depravity fester and grow. And typically what happens is they were meant to suffer for days, usually naked. I know in all the pictures, which are violations of the second commandment, by the way, but in all the pictures of Jesus, you see a loincloth. No, he was, he was naked, suffering on that cross, usually perhaps probably through here, not through here. So he's hanging by his bones like that. And it was for the purpose that they could sit, uh, that, that they would suffocate. And then if they needed to breathe, they would push off their you know, impaled feet to then be able to breathe. It was a gruesome way to die. It was a gruesome way to go. Look what the crowd is saying. Crucify him. Not just end his life, but give him the worst possible punishment imaginable. The man, men, there is no one righteous, no, not one. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. They've rejected him as king. The old is passing away and they want the worst possible punishment to be upon him. Now they are killing him, but God will judge them. We saw that in Mark 13, but they cry out, crucify him. And Pilate, why? What evil has he done? This is fleshed out more in the other gospels, especially John. He seems to try to release him that way. He seems to want to make, uh, make this one who is innocent. Uh, uh, free what evil has he done they don't say they just crowd all the more verse 14 crucify him jesus is not as popular as pilate perhaps thought and so pilate what does he do verse 15 so pilate wanting to gratify the crowd released barabbas to them he follows what the mob says, wanting to gratify what they say rather than doing what is right. And let's be honest, in our modern context, even though we live in a democracy, 
it's mob rule, isn't it? For the most part, politicians make decisions on polls, don't they? Oh, oh, my polls are dropping. I better, you know, do something different. It is mob rule. I know we have various systems and checks and balances that way, but for the most part, it really has become that. Mob rule is never a good thing. And it's never a good thing, too, because most people by themselves are spineless and feckless. We won't stand up for what is right and what is true, will we? We go with the crowd. I know we'd like to think that we're the one that stands out, but guess what? We just go with everybody else. In this modern context or this modern postmodern world we live in that talks about everyone, the individual, this, that, or the other, we just do what everybody else says we should do. We're more followers than leaders. We're more fearful than courageous. And we need God's mercy to be courageous, to stand up, to do what is right in the face of wicked things. Well, Pilate caves, wanting to gratify the crowd. His acquiescence to the, the, the evil request is just as wicked as the request itself, isn't it? He tries to wash his hands and say, oh, it's not my problem. It's yours, especially in the other Gospels. But he is the one who hands him over. And history tells us, the Bible tells us, he is the one who colluded with the Jews to be able to kill the Lord of glory and to take him out. And so he tries to wash his hands. He does not wash his hands. And he'll be, again, forever being, get it off, get it off, get it off. So he releases Barabbas to them. He delivers Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. So they release the killer Barabbas. The Jews get what they asked for. And God's providence, the Jews got what they asked for. Ferguson is a very helpful historical background uh, uh, author on on the times of Christ, the times of the New Testament. He talks about how after this, there were many insurrections and messiahs that came that brought revolution, but all eventually led to Israel's destruction in AD 70. He says the request by the Jews at the trial of Jesus for the release of Barabbas, a revolutionary, and not Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was symbolic of the next century of Jewish history. They got what they asked for many false messiahs and revolutionaries all leading in god's providence to their destruction in ad 70 so barabbas is released a king for a killer and jesus is crucified by pilate and he delivered jesus after he scourged him to be crucified this fulfills mark 10 34 jesus predicted there how he would die will be delivered to the Gentiles and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Now the scourging before you even get to the cross is very painful. Usually what they take is perhaps some sort of a whip, normally made of leather, sometimes weighted with pieces of metal or bone. And it was so severe that people perhaps even died just from that. The suffering that Jesus endures for sinners physically and spiritually what he undergoes for undeserving wretches like you and i and he goes and he is crucified on that cross the worst punishment for sinners in the ancient world in the greco roman world with that slow suffocation a king who is gracious and good dies or will die 
in the stead of one who is a great killer. Now, brethren, for the disciples, this was disheartening, wasn't it? That's probably why they flee. They're not ready for this. This wasn't what they expected. They thought the Messiah was here. We're going to have our tanks and guns and go blow the doors off the empire. That'll be great. It wasn't what they thought. And remember all the way back when we looked at Mark chapter 4 with the parables. Things are not always as they seem, are they? And even though Jesus suffers much injustice at the hands of Pilate, at the hands of the crowd, at the hands of the chief priests, it was all for a specific purpose, wasn't it? Jesus' resolve was to go and die in this way for undeserving people fulfilling the plan of God. That is how the kingdom comes in, isn't it? Through the suffering and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to be comforting for us because things are not always as they seem are they but christ is bringing in his kingdom he has done so by defeating death he is doing so by reigning now supreme and he will do so when he comes again i am and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven but the way he gets to the triumphant resurrection as he must endure the cross first and the suffering first for his people. Doesn't this show how good God is, how gracious God is, and how forgiving God is that Christ would come and do such a thing? Now, I do think here, even though Jesus doesn't die for Barabbas, but he still takes the place of a sinner. Ryle says, we have in this striking fact a vivid emblem of the manner in which God pardons and justifies the ungodly. He does it because Christ has suffered in their stead, the just for the unjust. They deserve punishment, but a mighty substitute has suffered for them. They deserve eternal death, but a glorious surety has died for them. We are all by nature in the position of Barabbas. We are guilty, wicked, and worthy of condemnation. But when we were without hope, Christ, the innocent, died for the ungodly. And now for Christ's sake can be just, and yet God can be just, uh, God for Christ's sake can be just, and yet the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. I don't think that's that far-fetched. Because in verse 28, as he's hanging on the cross, the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was numbered with the transgressors. And perhaps you have Isaiah 53 in your mind, speaking about that suffering servant, the one who would come to bring deliverance for Israel. And we know that Israel is a type of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, type of sinners being saved. But in verse 12, as he's talking about the triumph of the servant, his success, he is the one who had Though he made an offering for sin and he shall see his days prolonged for referring to resurrection. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Those whom he has died for, he shall justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Why? Because he poured out his soul unto death. And notice, he was numbered with the transgressors. But also, he bore the sin of many 
and made intercession for the transgressors. Maybe Christ doesn't die for Barabbas per se, but it still paints a picture of what Christ does on the cross for his people. The cross is not Jesus being an example for us. The cross is Jesus bearing the penalty upon himself as a substitute in the stead of sinners. Our place for his, his place for ours. There is a vivid picture here of what we see of, of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he does for his people. What, ought, what God, ought God's people to do, we ought to praise. Ryle says, let us bless God that we have such a glorious salvation set before us. Our plea must ever be not that we are deserving of acquittal, but that Christ has died for us. Let us take heed that having so great a salvation, we really make use of it for our own souls. We may never rest until we can say by faith, Christ is mine. I deserve help, but Christ has died for me. And believing in him, I have a hope of heaven. Christ was numbered among the transgressors so that he might bear the sin of transgressors and intercede for transgressors. If you've believed on him, praise God, worship him, honor him. If you have not believed in Christ, believe in Christ. Otherwise, your sins will be punished forever, or they can be punished in the Lord Jesus. Believe upon him and you shall be saved. Do you believe that he is the king? Do you believe that he is the son of God? Well, let's pray. Our gracious God, thank you again for the picture of Christ and his substitute for us. It perhaps is an unconventional picture of what we see, but it does portray Christ being taken in the stead of a notorious killer. And, oh God, maybe we have not taken a gun to someone's head, but, oh God, we have been angry and torn down in our minds and our hearts. We are undeserving of this salvation that you give. Perhaps we, we've never engaged in physical adultery. But we've thought wicked thoughts with our minds. Perhaps we've never actually stolen money from the bank. But we know, oh God, we've stolen time and been lazy. And we know, oh God, that we have lied in many ways. And we have not been contented with the things that you have for us. We murmur and grumble and complain. And we also violate the first four commandments as well. They're all connected with you. Oh God, we have not loved you. And we have not loved others as we ought. And we are then deserving of great punishment because of violating your perfect law. But thank you for Christ who lived the law perfectly. Thank you for Christ who died as the perfect sacrifice. Thank you for Christ who was our substitute and the one who bore the penalty upon himself. For we are undeserving sinners who have a great savior. We pray, O oh God, that we would praise you and honor you, that we would glorify your name, that we would have a robust understanding of the doctrine of sin and a robust understanding of the doctrine of salvation. Nothing in our hands we bring, but simply to that cross we cling. And if there are any here today who do not know you, we pray, O oh God, that they would cling to the cross of Christ through faith. We pray that we, your people, would cling to the cross of Christ through faith, and that we would never grow tired of hearing Christ and him crucified. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.